This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so we were just saying offline before we started that here we are. It's um, you know, it's it's not cold today, but you definitely get the sense that the the calendar is turning and we're heading towards the cold season, which historically has been, especially over the last couple of years, has been the moment where on more of a media level, more on a a, more of a general audience level, folks start to think about the crisis of the unhoused and our most vulnerable Rhode Islanders. Of course, the reality is this is a 365 problem. Uh, It's it's something that happens every day. And there's so many different aspects to it. We cover it here on the podcast and we'll continue to. But um, a program that is providing incredible direct action is Lifespan Street Medicine Outreach Program. And we're joined today by Dr. Becky Carb, who is the co-director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Rhode Island Hospital and an attending physician of emergency medicine also at Rhode Island Hospital, as well as Sarah Malucci, who is the director of outreach at House of Hope. Thank you so much for your time this morning. So, Thank you, yeah, of course. So, look, the numbers are very difficult to pin down in terms of how many folks are out there on a nightly basis who are unhoused, who are totally unsheltered, whether they're, there is no available bed for them, whether they've chosen to stay, um, for lack of a better term, on the streets. Whatever the case is, it's a pretty big number. It's a measurable number. And it's statewide. I mean, there are a lot of people say, oh, this is an urban core issue. And the reality is that throughout the course uh, or throughout the entire geography of Rhode Island, you'll find folks who are unhoused. And a critical component is providing trusted direct care to that. So let's just start with the concept and some of the work that goes on, like what exactly happens in a street medicine outreach program? How do you even begin the process of providing that care? I guess let's start with Dr. Carb on that one. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. I think that um, the story really starts with Sarah and House of Hope, at least in, in Rhode Island. So there are street medicine programs all over the country. Up until now, Rhode Island really hasn't had an organized program. Um, But House of Hope has been doing amazing work with this community for, you know, decades Um, and bringing along both physicians and um, folks in med school and residency um, to get some exposure on street outreach and learn about the population. You know, so now we're in this phase, Dr. Carb, where where there's a formalized street outreach pilot program. So tell us about that just just in terms of the initiative and and how you got involved yourself in terms of where you see this thing going and and what are some of the biggest barriers that you that you have seen when it comes to treatment of our unhoused community? Yeah, so I started going out with House of Hope um, a little over a year ago and have been going out with them weekly as, you know, sort of doing some street medicine independently, and then realize this problem is like, it's much bigger, and it needs some more organized effort. Um, And these folks deserve a, you know, an organized effort that really is doing its best to address their specific needs. So um, basically, we go out to, you know, tent encampments out on the street. We visit people where they are um, on their own terms and um, sort of meet them where they are both physically, which I think is really important and kind of like mentally, emotionally. Um, 
some of the, you know, I work in the emergency department. I'm an emergency physician. Um, and so we do see some of, um, you know, folks experiencing homelessness um, or housing insecurity in the ED. But there is a, a large number of people that have become really um, disengaged with medical care and the whole system in general. Um, and I think that's sort of the cumulative result of, um, uh, you know, us not doing a good job in medicine at providing care to these folks in a way that's respectful and um, harm reductive. So, you know, people come into the ED and they feel like they're stigmatized, they're not treated well. Um, we don't really address their concerns with being in the hospital and what that means. So for somebody sleeping outside, um, you know, they don't, there's nowhere to safe place to keep their things. And so people get very anxious about, you know, somebody is going to steal my stuff or I'm going to, when I leave the hospital, I'm going to leave, um, go back to my spot and there's going to be nothing there. Um, for folks that uh, use substances, there's the very real fear of withdrawal and all the stigma that comes with that as well. Um, so I, if, for me, as an emergency doctor, part of this whole process is like trying to repair some of that damage that we've done um, historically by approaching medicine in a little bit of a different way on the street um, and allowing people to guide their own care and um, you know, feel empowered um, in working with us and feel, you know, respected. It's really interesting that you, the way you frame that as well, that medicine hasn't caught up with the crisis, so to speak, in, in, to at least a certain extent in, in that it's, there's a share, there's a mutual adjustment, if that makes sense, where you're, you're yeah. building trust and trust has to be offered from, from the patient. And it's almost like if we could extrapolate that to the entire crisis of the unhoused and all parties could realize that there's it's really not an issue of who's right and who's wrong who's righteous and who's you know delinquent or whatever other you know framing that we oftentimes see um we'd be in a much better place so how, how many physicians are involved in the in the pilot program right now um so we've had just in the first few months we've had 17 attending physicians sign up and that's across a number of different specialties um emergency medicine, primary care, infectious disease, and addiction medicine. So it's been a great response. And I think um, the doctors who have gone out are really finding it to be a rewarding experience and like incredibly eye-opening in understanding where folks are coming from. And just like these barriers that are really theoretical that you learn about in med school become so three-dimensional and real when you go and see someone um, in their own space and actually take the time to talk with them. And um, so I, you know, I, the main goal of the program is to provide this population with the medical care that they deserve. Um, but I think it's also transformative on the provider side um, in sort of the ways that we can bring what we learn back to the hospital and clinics. Sarah, uh, there's no question that House of Hope has had this sort of thinking in terms of address the problem or the issue where it is. I think of Shower to Empower, which is for anyone who doesn't know, that's essentially a mobile, just a trailer shower that, you know, it was met with criticism, but it, it, it's shocking that there's people who see these types of innovations and somehow 
either from a selfish standpoint or an ignorant standpoint, they they rip it. They spend time ripping it in the media, uh, you know, wherever they are. And at the end of the day, these kinds of pro- projects tend to work better than anything else. So from your standpoint, just talk about the innovation, House of Hope's innovation, this pilot program's innovation, and why innovating, why thinking outside of the box, why doing things that aren't in the existing playbook. And I'm kind of, this is a very leading question because I'm basically saying that this does in fact work, but in, that in a, this, is a, this crisis requires innovation and a mutual re- realignment of priorities. Talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the leading question because that's, that's exactly it. <laughs> the, we need to do things differently because it's clear that what we're doing traditionally isn't working. It's not meeting people's needs. And um, I appreciate you using the word innovation. That's something we care a lot about at House of Hope. It's part of our vision for how we work. And it certainly means that a lot of our work ends up being inconvenient or not traditional. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, we're, we have a very creative team, but but most of those ideas are coming from conversations we're having with folks who are experiencing homelessness in the present. So we can't take too much credit for the the work that we're doing. I think I I think you know it's a real privilege that we have, especially having a, a real boots on the ground outreach team, meeting people where they are. We we don't have a self selecting group of folks experiencing homelessness that are willing to come see us in an office setting. Um, we're seeing everyone, we're working in public space, we're talking to anyone who's willing to talk to us. And, um, and so because of that, we get a pretty wide array of feedback about what's working and not, not, not working systemically. And, um, you know, Shower Tomb Power, as an example, came out of many conversations with folks who said, there's no low barrier shower, I have to be, you know, a regular stayer at this shelter in order to use their shower, like there's one shower, but it's many miles away, and I don't have a bus pass. And, um, and so those were the conversations that led to us getting Shower Tomb Power on the ground about five years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so much of it just comes out of really regular relationships that we have with our clients who, to Becky's points earlier, have a lot of trauma in clinical settings, have a lot of very real reasons to not want to be you know, coming into the hospital or going into these places to get the services and the care they need. Um, and, you know, we hope that those systems, we hope that in this process, those systems can see some structural change to be more informed by the traumas that our folks are living through in the present. Um, but in the meantime, I I think we hope that these kinds of programs can be a bridge to help people get those basic life-saving resources that they need. And then we can also be doing that work of pushing back up on the systems that we all work within and say, how can we do better? How can we inconvenience ourselves? How can we blame ourselves a little bit when people aren't getting the resources they need rather than blaming the individuals and saying, like, they're not asking for help. They're not taking what's being offered to them. If that's happening as a pattern, that tells us that there's a a structural problem there that doesn't have that much to do with the individual. So, um, yeah, those are a lot of the conversations that we have as a team um, and primarily with the clients that we work with um, who are the most resourceful and creative people I've ever met. So, Doctor, what kind? What What are some of the common? Um, I guess this, what are the, some of the things that you most commonly treat patients for in the street medicine program? Um, yeah. So there's sort of two 
buckets, there's kind of acute care issues and then there's kind of longitudinal primary care um, stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of our uh, clients on the street um, have a hard time sort of thinking big picture because they have so many things to deal with right in the moment. There's like, like day to day, there's just so many things on their plate. Um, so we're working on sort of big picture, connecting people back into primary care. Um, but the acute care stuff is mostly, um, infections, a lot of wound care. We do a lot of wound care. Um, and we've started doing a lot of testing. Um, so, you know, doing blood draws out on the street to test people for infectious diseases, um, prescribing medications, antibiotics, and um, stuff like that. And what sort of impact does this have on emergency rooms in terms of the reduction of of patients? I mean, the, the emergency room is a, is a place that is, we've learned through COVID, if you didn't already know exactly how chaotic it can be and and Uh on the receiving end and and on the care end and the triaging end. So anything you can do to sort of smooth that process out, I'm sure is helpful. Yeah. I mean, I I like to think that we, and we'll be collecting data on this. It's early in the program, but, um, you know, I think we are reducing ED visits and especially ED visits that come about because something has gotten really, really bad. Right. So um, because folks have had this trauma um, experience in the medical system, some people really wait until something gets gets bad before um, deciding to go into the emergency department. And at that point, um, sometimes there aren't a lot of options. So I feel like we're you know, we can see people every day and we can, um, you know, find a wound and take care of that wound and prescribe some antibiotics if they need it and prevent that from becoming um, a really bad problem. Mm. All right. So last area here, the the symbiotic and essential relationship between social services and medical care. Let's let's t- let's take a look at that because there's such a there's such an important overlap. So why is it important why is it important that and I'll ask each of you this, I guess Sarah if you want to answer first the bridge between those two spaces where oftentimes there is a literal overlap, but a lot of times uh, there isn't. Why is it essential to have this program and in general, the social service side and the medical side in constant communication, working in tandem to address this crisis? Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And I, I love it. And you know, when I was in school for social work, we were taught a lot about interprofessional doing work interprofessionally. And it's one thing to talk about that on paper, but it feels very different. And, you know, I think in our street medicine program in particular and in outreach more broadly, one of the things I love about it is how leveled the playing field is. Like, you know, in a clinical setting, I'd be sitting behind a desk. Becky might be, you know, wearing, maybe you don't wear a white coat, but like we we have different kinds of power. Um you know, we're dressed differently. The, the power differential is big. Um, when we're on the street, until somebody wants to engage with us in our professional <laughs> backgrounds, I'm just Sarah, the human being. Um, and we can have a conversation that way. And I, I think that leveled playing field translates all the way through to the ways that we work 
together. Um, I know on the street medicine side, I mean, Becky can probably speak to this more, but our team's been doing this work for a long time and we have a lot of long-standing relationships with people and that trust is built really slowly over time. Um, it's, I often tell our team that our trust and relationships is the most important resource that we're offering people. That's the conduit through which everything else is going to come through. And it's often the only thing we have to offer when housing wait lists are years long and there's nothing I can give you in the moment. And, um, and so, you know, since we have those longstanding relationships, we can bring other providers in and like kind of rely on the trust we've already built. And I can say, you know, I know you've had a bad experience in the hospital, but I can tell you, Becky, Dr. Carb, like, she's really good. Like, I trust her a lot. She's like us. Like, is it cool if she comes out to your encampment with me next week and we can just have a conversation together? She won't force anything on you. Like, if you're not interested, you can say no. And um, I think having, like, us being able to bring in those relationships and then, like, the more holistic, like, housing, other resource connections side lets us acknowledge that like housing is healthcare at the end of the day. Like the, the statistics that exist in abundance that tell us that chronic outside unsheltered homelessness leads to almost a like 20 year reduction in life expectancy, maybe more. Um, and so we know that we can't just address the health issue. We can't just address the, like getting you a tent for tonight. Like we have to do the whole picture. Um, and so working together feels like the only way we can really do that in a meaningful way. Um, mm. and I think for us, it, it lets us feel like we can offer a more comprehensive set of resources to the folks that we're working with in a way that builds on the existing trust and isn't me just saying like, oh no, you have to go to that clinic over there in a cold way. I can, we can be one cohesive team. Mm. Really well said, doctor, your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I mean I totally agree with that. I think that we have a really, you know, a street medicine team that's led by, on the medical side. I think is never going to be as good and comprehensive and effective as one that is led on by the social service side. And what Sarah said is totally correct. Like I could go, I could say I want to pr- help, you know, provide this care to, to folks, but. Um, you know, half the battle is finding people and where they are, you know, and the House of Hope team knows where everyone is. Um, And then once you find them, getting them to talk to you and open up to you and feel comfortable telling you what they need and want. Um, And that would never happen if we didn't go out as a team. Um, So it's a really, I think it's a really great partnership. Um, between, you know, the healthcare system and, and social service agencies. And it's, um, you know, I don't, I think symbiotic is a great term. That's exactly what it is. Dr. Becky Carb, Sarah Malucci, House of Hope. What an amazing program. And as we look at the, the, the housing crisis as a whole, which of course a huge component of that is the unhoused crisis, it's always important to look at the bright spots whether it's a person whose story is inspiring or empowering, or if it's the people who are actually doing work on the ground, it's the one aspect of this, you know, tragic reality that will kind of like keep you when you're standing on the beach, looking into the ocean, like 
figuring out like why is the world the way it is you know it's the thing that maybe keeps you like upright for a few moments and i'm inspired by both of you thank you so much thanks so thanks much, for having us bill